Together we will be studying Megillat Esther, the story that tells of the near genocide of the Jewish people at the hands of Haman Harasha, which of course is thwarted through Hashkacha Peratit, divine intervention. And although HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name does not appear anywhere in the Megillah, it is clear as the story unfolds that it is guided through the intervention of Borei Olam, as we will see as we make our way through the Megillah together. It's interesting to note the time period in which Purim happened. It's very difficult to put a date on the, when the story happened. We'll use the dates that we have in the Gemara. We know that the first Bet HaMikdash was destroyed based on archaeology, in 586 BCE. The story of Purim is said to have happened 70 years after the Galut, after the first Bet HaMikdash, the destruction of the first Bet HaMikdash, which would put the story somewhere around 515, 516 BCE. However, if we consider that the Jewish people probably took them 10 or 15 years to build the second Beit HaMikdash based on the socio-political landscape at the time, that would put the building of the second Beit HaMikdash at about 505 BCE. We know that the second Beit HaMikdash stood, based on the Gemara, for 420 years, which would put its destruction at 85 BCE. However, we know based on historical evidence that the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, the second Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, in 70 CE. So there's 150 years, 155 years worth of time that's unaccounted for. And so whether or not Purim exactly happened right after the 70-year Galut, after the first Beit HaMikdash, is difficult. Difficult to point to an exact date because of that discrepancy. In terms of the author of the book, the Gemara Masechet Baba Batra, on Daf Tedvav, writes that the story was written, the Megillah was written by the Anche Knesset Hagdola which would be, of course, after the story concluded, and based on a pasuk in the 10th Perek of the Megillah, in Perek Yod, Pasuk Bet, which says, seems to imply that the story was written by someone later in time, which would point in the direction that it could very well be that Shekhinesit Hagdola. However, there are other Pesukim in the Megillah that seem to imply that it was written by Mordechai and Esther. For example, the Pasuk in Perek Tet, Pasuk Bet, which writes, I'm sorry, Perek Tet, Pasuk Yud Tet, which writes, that it was written, that these words, this whole entire episode, was written by Mordechai, and later on in Perektet, it talks about the fact that Esther also wrote Sefarim, seems to imply that it was written by Mordechai and Esther, not to mention the fact that there are several Persian words that appear in the Megillah, which seems to imply that it was written by someone who was intimately knowledgeable of the language, and therefore someone who was living closer to the time of the story. So it's difficult as well to point to the exact author of the book. Again, the Gemara Masechet Baba Batra points the Yanshek and Esetagadullah. Based on the Pesukim, possibly we can say it was 
Mordechai and Esther, or someone who lived at the time. The story, of course, happens in the area of India, as we will see. We will begin the Megillah together now. Perek Aleph, Pasuk Aleph. The Megillah opens. Vayhi b'mea Hashverosh. It was in the days of Hashverosh. Hu Ahashverosh hamolech mehodu ve'atkush. Sheva ve'esrim u'me'a medina. It was in the days of Ahashverosh. Ahashverosh is mentioned in Sefer Ezra, in Perakim Dalar, He and Vav, as a king who did come out against the inhabitants of Yehuda and Yerushalayim. So Ahashverosh is found elsewhere in Tanakh. Many of the Mifashim say that he was the Persian king, Kshayashra, or an Aramit, Hashiarash, who as well appear in historical texts. But this is the Ahashverosh who we are talking about, seemingly the Ahashverosh that appears in Sefer Ezra, Hamolech Mehodu Ve'atkush. He ruled from India all the way to Egypt, to northern Sudan. Sheva Ve'asrim Medina, over 127 provinces, a huge region over which he ruled. Pasuk Bet. Bayamim Hahem. And in those days of the rule of Ahashverosh, when he sat on his throne as the king, which was in Shushan Habira, his throne, the capital, was in Shushan, which seems to be the present-day city of Shush, which is in Iran, which is essentially at the center of the point between India and Egypt, as we mentioned, was the area of his reign. In the third year of his rule, he makes a party for all of his officers and all of his servants. And the soldiers and the representatives of Paras and Madai, and the ambassadors, and all of the representatives of all of the different provinces over which he ruled, he is throwing a party to celebrate his wealth, to celebrate his riches, to celebrate his leadership. When he shows off his riches and his glory of his kingdom and all of his beauty and all of his glory and his greatness that he has for many, many days, 180 days. He throws a party for six months. Clearly a society that is involved in consumption. It is a society that is consistently taking. When you look at a party that runs for 180 days, six months worth of partying, clearly it points in the direction of a society that is doing its best to take from what the world has to offer as opposed to producing and giving to what the world might otherwise be. And when those 180 days, those six months ended, He makes another party, an after-party party, Seven days for everyone who was found in Shushan, from big to small, highest in stature to lowest in stature, for another seven days, in the garden of the king's palace. And again, the Pasuk discusses 
and detail the glory of the party. Chur, Karpas, Uthelet, Achuz, Bechav, Lebutz, Argaman, Al Gilil, Chesef, Amud, Shesh, Mitot, Zahav, Chesef, Al Ritzefat, Bahat, Vashesh, Vedar, Vesoharet. He has royal garments with purples and blues and gold and marble and silver and all of this beauty that is in excess and as a show of power and wealth that Ahashverosh has. And the first section of Perek Aleph ends in Pasuk Het, which reads, V'hashetiyah hadat en ones, kichen yisad hamelech al korav betol asot kiritzon ish va'ish, and the wine was in excess, anybody and anything that they wanted, there was a tremendous amount of wine and everybody's drinking and again it is a symbol of the glory and the wealth of Ahasuerus. And as I mentioned, the first section of the first Pedic runs from Pasuk Aleph through Pasuk Chet and really focuses on the wealth of Ahasuerus, which is important because it gives a sense of pride that the people have in their king which helps to explain why the Jewish people would have wanted to participate in that party to show him their allegiance, the allegiance to a king who was wealthy and mighty and ruling over 127 provinces. And of course, it gives us the backdrop for the rest of the story. Section 2 of the Pedic begins in Pasuk Tet. Gam Vashti also Vashti, the queen, she has a party for the women in the king, in the palace, in an inner room, the palace that belongs again to Ahasuerus. It was not uncommon at the time that there be a party that was mixed, both men and women, and then the men and women would separate and have their own party following the part that was with mixed gender. Pasuk Yod. Bayom HaShemri, Ketov Lev HaMelech Bayayin, Amar Limhuman, Bizeta Harbona, Bigtav, Avakta, Zetar, Bicharkas, Shivat Asarisim, Hamsharetim, Et Pene HaMelech HaChashverosh. And it was on the seventh day, when the king was good and drunk. Ketov Lev HaMelech Bayayin, seems to imply that he was drunk. You can see also Shemuel Aleph, where it talks about Naval, and it uses the same Lashon, Velev Naval Tov Alav, Vehu Shikor Ad Meod. So the Pasuk there qualifies that Lev Tov Bayayin means that he was drunk. So on the seventh day, the last day of this after-party party, he's drunk, and he says to his seven closest advisors, who are listed here in the Pasuk, and he tells them, Pasuk Yeralef, they tell, he tells them to bring Vashti, the queen, in front of the king with her crown on to show all of the nations and all of the ambassadors and all of the representatives how beautiful she is and how wonderful she is and she is going to come at his beck and call. And again, the point here is to show his kingship, his rule, his strength. And you'll notice that when it says that he wants to bring Vashti, it says, Et Vashti HaMalkash. He calls her Vashti the Queen. Meaning to say, you are Vashti, who is the queen 
because of me. Which is interesting to note because in the next pasuk, the last pasuk of the section, it says, And the queen Vashti, here the pasuk puts Malka first. No, she is responding to him and saying, I'm the queen and you're the king because of that. And my name happens to be Vashti. She refuses to come at the word of the king who sends her Sarisim, who sends her these boys to come get her. And she sends back and she says, I'm not coming. And he becomes very angry and his anger is burning inside of him. As she refuses a direct order from the king. That ends the second section. The second section again focusing on the fact that Vashti denies the calling of a Hashverosh. As she denies a direct order from the king. It's important to note the juxtaposition of the second section to the first sec- section. The second section almost negates the first section. The first section, Pesukim Aleph Turchet, was talking about the wealth and the power of Ahasuerus. And in the second Perek, it talks about the refusal of his wife to come at his behest. So the juxtaposition of his ultimate power and the fact that his wife refuses him, not to mention the fact that there's a complete change in attitude. He went from Kilev Hamelech Tov Bayain, he was happy and he was drunk and he was giddy, to he's burning with anger. We can see that Ahashverosh changes his emotions on a dime and it's a very important piece to take into effect when looking at the Megillah because it's important to understand the characters and the roles that the characters play in this story. Ahashverosh is very whimsical. He changes on a dime. He goes from very happy to very angry very, very quickly. He's very gullible. He's very easily taken by what's going on around him. And we'll see that pan out as we read the rest of the story. And that helps to put together the plot. The third section begins in, Perek, in Pasuk Yud Gimel and runs through Pasuk Tedvav. And it incorporates the idea of a Hashverosh complaining about what happened with Vashti. Pasuk Yud Gimel. And the king says to the wise men, those who are Yodea Itim, who know the times, and later on it says, at the end of the Pasuk, these are the men who know how to analyze and derive out the laws, and it was not uncommon for the king to take counsel with his advisors, and those advisors are the seven men mentioned beforehand when he was talking to them to come bring Vashti, not uncommon for the king to take counsel with his advisors regarding the laws of the country. And those who are close to him, again, those seven advisors who he called upon beforehand, he calls upon again, to discuss with them what is the legal ramifications of the fact that Vashti denied a direct order of the king, and they are they get to see the king whenever they want. They're not subject to the rule that the king has to call upon you. They can enter into the king and take counsel with him when they want to. They are the prime advisors that sit in the kingdom. Pasuk Tet Vav. 
כדעת מה לעשות במלכה ושתים, כי אסתם, what is the law regarding how things panned out with ושתי? על אשר לא עשתה את מאמר המלך אחשורוש ביד הסרסים. And the fact that she did not carry out the word of the king when he sent to her messengers to bring her. So he's taking counsel with his advisors as to what should be the legal action against Vashti for not coming at his behest. And with that we begin the fourth and final section of the Pedic, which runs from Pasuk Tedzai through the end, Pasuk Kaf Fav. So Mimuchan, it seems to be that he is listed first because he is of the least stature of the seven, and he went first so as not to go against anything that anybody in higher stature would have said. So they started at the bottom, and they would have made their way up to the greatest in stature to hear his opinion last. And he says to the king, it was not against the king alone that Vashti committed a crime. And again, you'll notice here, it says Vashti HaMalka, first her name and then her title, insinuating that Hashverosh is the king and Vashti is the queen only by, by him. Ki al-kol amim, she sinned against all of the advisors and the entire nation that is in the provinces and the country of the king Ahashverosh, HaMelech Ahashverosh. She is Vashti HaMalka, she is HaMelech Ahashverosh. Pasuk Yitzayin, Ki yitzay dvar HaMalka al kol hanashim lahavzot ba'alehem be'enehem be'omram HaMelech Ahashverosh amar lahavit Vashti HaMalka lefanav velo ba'a. Because the word is going to go out to all of the women about what she did, and they are going to disgrace their husbands, their husbands are going to be disgraced in their eyes, and they're going to say, well, when the king Ahashverosh called to bring his wife Vashti before him, she didn't go to him, so for sure, if our husbands call to us, we don't have to go to them. If the queen doesn't have to go to the king, then we don't have to go to our husbands, and so it's not just a domestic case that's happening between husband and wife. This has global ramifications in terms of a breakdown in the family and the way things are supposed to be at that point in time that the women would have been subservient to the men. And who knows, maybe even already by this time today, because Vashti had her after-party party, perhaps she already told Sarot Parasumadai, the female representatives, the female wives of the ambassadors, what had happened. And they heard the episode, and they're already spreading the, the gossip about the fact that she refused the king. And this is going to cause a tremendous amount of disgrace and anger and disparaging to the men. And therefore, he says in Pasuk Yutet, and therefore, he says with kavod, if it seems good to the king, then we should send out a letter to all of the religions and all of the sects in your regions, in your 127 provinces, something that is inviolable. Order of the king, 
that Vashti will never come before Ahasuerus again, and he will not give her her kingship, and he will give her reign over to somebody else who is better than she is. Seems to be that the punishment is almost midah kenegin midah. She didn't come to Ahasuerus when he called her. Now she's not allowed to come. And that is the punishment of Vashti. It does not say anywhere in the Megillah that Ahasuerus killed Vashti. Chazal say that this translates into death because it was not uncommon that if someone was overthrown that they would then meet the death penalty. But it does not say in Pshat of the Pasuk that she was killed. Rather, she was banned from being the queen and from approaching the king. And this letter, this direct order from the king will be heard in all of the kingdom because it's going to be very great. It's going to be something that everybody is going to be following. And all of the women will give kavod to their husbands from the highest in stature to the lowest in stature and it will be again inviolable that the women will be subservient to their husbands. And this idea found favor in the eyes of the king and the officers, and the king did just as Haman had suggested. And the Perek ends, and he sent out letters to every province and every country in the writing, their specific writing, their alphabet, and in their language, so it was not mistaken by anybody. Everybody could understand it and read it and know it. Saying that the man should be the ruler of the house. And that if his wife spoke any other language or disregarded any orders that he had, that he would be the ruler in the home and she would be forced to follow his orders. So again, we looked at Perek Aleph. We started by looking at the author of the book, the date or the possible time period of Purim. We opened up by looking at the grandeur of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, his wealth, and the party that he threw, which was a six-month party, followed by an after-party party. The fact that he called Vashti to come to show her beauty, she denies it, she refuses him. He takes counsel with his advisors, which is common, and they advise him to make sure that her kingship is stripped from her, and a letter goes out saying that from now on, all of the men will be the rulers of the home, and the women will be subservient, and with that, we set the table for the entrance of Esther into the story.